Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Chris DeSantis about how to leverage the power of generational diversity to create better teams, organizations, and workplace relationships. Chris DeSantis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. I almost called you Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can call me whatever you want. Um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. You know, years ago, you know, I, I teach at the university and, and I had students, sometimes they'll give me nicknames, you know, and they'll tease, you know, and, and joke about different names. And one student started calling me Dr. West instead of Dr. West over Dr. West beard. I had a big beard at the time. And, <laughs> and then somehow that morphed into Kanye West beard. So that became, and it stuck. So for the semester, all my students in that class called me Kanye West beard and I just rolled <laughs> with it. You know, it's whatever. Um, but well, anyways, that's neither here nor there. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Where are you joining me from? I am in Chicago, John. I'm not quite downtown. Lincoln Park, if anybody's familiar with that part of the city. Yeah, perfect. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. Pleasure to be with you. And today ah. we're going to be talking about how to leverage the power of generational diversity to create better teams, organizations, and workplace relationships. As we get started, I wanted to share Chris's bio with everybody. Chris DeSantis is an independent organizational behavior practitioner, speaker, podcaster, and author with over 35 years of experience working with clients and professional services firms, both domestically and internationally. Over the past 15 years, he has been invited to speak on generational issues in the workplace at hundreds of leading U.S. law and accounting firms, as well as many of the major insurance and pharma companies. His new book is Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Friction at Work. A pleasure again to have you. I'm excited to talk about that and the related issues. Anything else you would like for me or my audience to know about you or your background uh, or personal context before we dive on into the broader conversation? No, I, I think this uh, sort of sets the stage. I think I think it's really about the message, not about the uh, the credentials at this point. <laughs> so we went... Let's start by just kind of distinguishing the different generational stages. Uh, there's lots of terms thrown around for these, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I, I suppose it probably doesn't matter all that much what term we end up landing on, other than just so we know what we're talking about. But how do you break it down and describe the gen generational um, cohorts? 
Well, let me let me back this up a little bit because I, I think the, to lay the foundational piece to this is I, I, I like to set the stage as we see the world not as it is uh, in terms of an objective view, but rather our perception of the world predicated on the experiences we had growing up. So if that is the case, then a generational sort of group is, is is around a common experience and so and or common experiences and and so in, in the united states the art culture boomers i address in the workplace i address boomers i talk about gen x i talk about the experiences of millennials and now recently i talk about gen z because they are now entering into the workplace the the, the generations on both ends of that are traditionalists who precede uh, gen x i'm sorry uh Boomers, and then the newest generation is just a placeholder name called Gen Alpha because they've they're starting the alphabet again. I guess. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. Eventually, we'll just you know every, every letter in the alphabet, right? Yeah, and there's always different terms. I'm kind of right on the cusp, so I was born in '79, so it's kind of mm-hmm. right tail end of Gen X, right at the very beginning of uh, Millennials. Yeah. Some have termed it the Zennial generation, exactly. kind of that in between. I can explain a little bit of that. See, I don't think we are siloed. This is one of the problems when you talk about the topic is, or when the topic is addressed is the assumption that boomers are in a silo or Gen X is a silo rather. We are not that way. Uh, we are much more in forms of a wave. There's a wave that comes in sort of into play that sort of distinguishes itself relative to the a generation that preceded it. And then the, those distinctions become normative in terms of how we see that generation. But as that generation starts to, um, I would say latter groups are, are born, they sort of, as you experience, you wash into the next generation. So you are, you as a, are in effect a cusp baby. And so as a cusp mm-hmm. baby, to your point about being a zennial is when you describe a, a Gen Xer or you describe a millennial, you see your, you say to yourself, hey, I'm, I'm a little of this, I'm a little of that, but I'm not either or. And so in that sense, that's the, that's really the, the the point here is it's the narrative of who you are that really defines who you are, not the category by chronological age that you fall into. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you noted, clearly, these are broad sweeping stereotypes, oh, right? As we're talking about generational well, cohorts, clearly, every, you know, there's variety and in, in diversity within these cohorts, but yes. it, it can be a useful typology, right, of just thinking yeah. about some of these these meta kind of issues uh, so it is it is useful but we do want to use caution like not overly simplify things and and recognize that there's still nuance and there's still individuality individuality and and from an organizational and leadership perspective you know i always caution leaders like there's no substitute for just knowing your people because it doesn't yeah. matter what generation they're from what their age is it doesn't matter you know what diverse group they might fall into or whatever, they're still their individual person with their own wants, needs, desires, their own career path or, you know, and that shifts over time. So you just need to know your people, right? Yeah. Well, I also think more importantly, you need to know yourself. And so when I speak to the topic, I, I say, what, what, what story reflects your experience? And then how do you interpret those around you relative to the experiences you had? Because this is where we judge. To your point, we move from generalization to stereotype. 
And then the other, the other, um, I will say, corollary here is that the press sort of gets in the way of this because they heighten perceptions of a group relative, but not necessarily the reality of the group. So millennials have been getting the short end of the stick now for probably 15, 20 years. And uh, I don't think it's really reflective of who they actually are, but it might be reflective of a few of them. But we imagine it's true of all of them, which, again, to your point, is a stereotype yeah. and it's not right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also useful to maybe think about life stage. I referred to that a minute ago. Oh, yeah. Um, life stage versus generational differences, because yeah. we all go through different stages of life. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm in my early 40s. So, you know, I have different priorities than I did 20 years ago and yes. than I will in 20 years from now. So that's a, something that's a little distinct, isn't it? Yes, because I, I speak to the generational lens and then I address this notion of stages of life, because one of the 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 I will say one thing I like to push back against is, oh, they'll, they're just young. They'll grow out of it. Well, yes, of course, we were all young. There used to be actually four stages of life, right? A child, a young adult, an adult and an elder because of the extension of adolescence. And we are all living longer, actually. Not all Americans are living longer. Uh, Americans in the middle class and above are living longer. Your children, if you have children, they one in two or three of them will live to be over 100 if you make it to the middle class and above. So the point being here is now we have six stages. You got a child, a young adult, an emerging adult, which is interesting. These are the people on the journey. An adult, an elder, and then bonus elderhood. That If you make it past 80, you got to wash your dryer. So the point here is, though, that this emerging adult is a new category. And so and and a lot of young people might fall into this because they're exploring who I will become. Yet, when we look at life from my lens and there are only four sort of four choices, I just assumed adulthood is a commitment early on to who you will be. And so when I see young people who haven't decided yet, I worry about them. I think, wow, they hey, when I would and, and this is I love this when I was your age, which is I always caution people, don't over, don't ever start a conversation with that because you're turning off the other. You're turning them off immediately because this is turning into a, a lecture. You see what I'm saying? And not a dialogue. Yeah. And, and the dialogue and listening carefully, knowing yourself, listening to understand and uh, those around you is super important. And yeah, I'm not that much older than you know, other millennials or even Gen oh, Z. Right. I have, I have a, my oldest daughter is a freshman in college. Um, and, you know, but I think back to, you know, when I was in starting college, for example, man, the world was different yes. <laughs> than it is yes. today. Right. And so they're just natural, not only shifts in, in life stages um, and there's these generational differences, but the world is changing. So it's just, it's silly. It, it would be totally silly for me to kind of project my experience from my youth and my young adulthood and that kind of journey period for me uh, onto say my, my 18 year old, almost 19 year old daughter uh, or any, any of my other kids. And so, yeah, you know, share your wisdom. Uh, it's it's important for us to learn from each other from all generations, and we're going to talk more about that um, certainly. But also, don't dictate, don't prescribe, yeah. right? And 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 allow people their opportunity to go through their own stages. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, what you're saying is interesting because you do have a daughter who's in this age group. Um, the actually, she's she's part of this Gen Z crowd. And, and what's interesting about that is we have moved because when I talk about this, when I write about this, I talk about these parental models. 
and their parental model is different. It might be different than your own. I know your family, but but the Gen X experience had a lot of, uh, I would call, uh, free-ranging. Actually, that's what the New York Times would call it. And this was the akin to the latchkey kid. These kids had more of an experience of being on their own, being more independent. Uh, people didn't check in on them with frequency. They're more self-sufficient. Now we've got a, a generation of, of young people, millennials and Gen Z, whose parents have always engaged them, always have known where they've been, always have checked up on them. So this dialogue approach is much more pronounced in this younger crowd. And that creates an expectation that I think is unique to those generations, as, a, as opposed to um, my generation, which is much more of a, a, an authority model. My parents were authorities. I was not in right. dialogue with my parents. That would have been unusual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was definitely one of those kind of free range kids. Yeah. Um, and then and then you talk about helicopter parents, or yeah. even now you talk about bulldozer parents, right? right. So just like we have kind of these generational differences and stages, we have these kind of parenting model difference differences and, yeah. and uh, stages, perhaps, I don't know. Uh, it's all super interesting to just think about uh, how this all interplays with each other. Um, well, bring it, bringing it back to work. Now, sure. of course, what, what we see is p- people are living longer um, right. and we have uh, now many, many generations simultaneously in the workforce working together. So you have uh, Gen Z and millennial and Gen X and baby boomers, and even some silent generation folks who are still um, contributing in the, in the labor force and, and all of these individuals with their kind of different mindsets and perspectives are now trying to work together. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course that, and and it's, as you said, we're, we've kind of moved away from this authority model in the workplace. It's not, you know, command control, authoritarian leadership. It's like collaborative, empowering leadership and, and uh, those sorts of things. It, it does pr- produce some, some challenges, doesn't it? Business is designed in a command and control structure, just as you've said. Uh, corollary to that was business was originally had this uh, element of what I call the covenant. And the covenant was if you work hard on my behalf and remain loyal in terms of tolerating how you are treated inside this company, you have a chance You have a chance to really retire from this company. B- basically, you have a single arc career. We no longer have those promises of the covenant. We have moved to a transactional model. And so it's not about the brand itself or the company itself that you are sort of enamored with. It's who you are working for within the company. So we've moved it down to a much more, I will say, an intimate level where loyalty is still demonstrated, but it's demonstrated not to the firm per se, but rather to the person I'm reporting to. And if I have a good experience with you, then in fact, I am loyal. Yet we judge the, the young people from the lens of their, again, from the hierarchical model. Hey, you, you, you aren't, you're leaving me as it were, you are not loyal. You see what I'm saying? That, but that's not, you're leaving my company. You are not loyal. That's not necessarily true at all. I, I make the point because I think we're going to see more boomeranging. And that means people will go out and try different jobs, and then they'll come back to the job they took. If you have a mindset that they are being disloyal when they left you the first time, then you lose the opportunity of what they might have learned out there that they could apply inside the next time. And so I think it's a mindset issue of letting go of what we were and accepting what we will be or could be as a consequence. What have you noticed, you know, in all your speaking and writing on the topic, you know, what have you noticed? in terms of the impact of, of COVID move towards remote work and now, you know, kind of a shift towards hybrid work. Um, How is this interplayed with these generational differences and some of the tensions and some of the opportunities 
uh, as we right. learn well, from and work with each other. Let me say, for first off, let's start with the, the millennials, uh, and they they have been vindicated. I've always have said that they are time and place agnostic, in the sense that they didn't uh, subscribe to nine to five at the office. They've always felt, look, I could do this otherwhere in, in different times because my rhythm of work might be different or the location. Why does it matter? I have my machine. So these things they said, but they were being pushed back. Now, because of the pandemic, we we fly five years into the future. And so in that sense, now they are saying, yes, no company has collapsed, and this is a plausible alternative. This now will anchor that because now Gen Z will be entering the workplace, and they will expect or they will demand some level of flexibility because they know it, it, it's, it can work. The challenge with this is we still have to have a structure. Now, I will say this interesting about uh, the, the Gen X generation is they were probably the only generation that was designed for the pandemic simply because they were in the office and then they they said, well, we've got to close the offices. And then they went home and they thought, well, this is no big deal because again, I'll just figure it out. They had the least issue. I think the people that are most affected by this were the boomers who had strong habits towards going to and from uh, and, and, the, and the young who have no mastery of what they are doing yet, who require that of help of others. So I think these things, we are, we are still looking, this is mimetic theory, we are looking for a model by which to follow. And I don't think there's a model out there that is universal yet, because I think it, we're, we should be experimenting. And that's what firms don't tend to do. They tend to execute. And I think in this world that we're living in, we should have a lot of minor experiments to say, okay, how do we how do we uh, make sure that we build relationships in this environment? How do we make sure we teach well in this environment? How do we make sure that our culture is is still sound in the circumstances of a, of a remote or a hybrid environment? You see, those are a lot of questions that have to be asked. Uh, and, and nobody really has the answer yet, although some people purport to have the answer, but they were designed as a remote company. You see, the key in this is if you were designed that way from the get-go, then that's fine. But if you are not, you have to come up to some new level of, uh, of I, I will call, uh, uh, you have to reinvent yourself to some degree. But it's here to stay as my theory. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, certainly, you know, the pendulum swung towards remote uh, yes. for knowledge workers. Um, it, it has swung back towards hybrid and some more face-to-face, -face. but I, I was just doing, um, I have researched some of these generational differences. I've also done a lot of research uh, in the area of, um, these uh, work modalities and the design of yes. work and, and right. some of the flexibility models and such. And, and I was just writing up a research brief that's going to come out next week, um, about, the shifts, uh, both in preference and in the lived experience, the actual work experience uh, of workers across the U.S. Um, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now post-pandemic, and mm -hmm. you definitely see, like, there is, you know, the the cliched term, the new normal. Like, we, there is a new normal um, around this shift, generally speaking, of. Uh, what people's expectations and preferences were pre-pandemic, how that adjusted during the pandemic, and now where we're at today. And that will continue to adjust over time, of course. Um, but we're much further around, like people who said they never wanted to work remotely before right. are now actually quite comfortable working remotely, happy to do it. Um, there's a much higher percentage of people wanting to work remotely who who are kind of being forced back into the physical office space. Right. Uh, many more um, who are really desiring hybrid work. And, and there's a gap between preference versus the kind of the lived reality of what the expectation is in their organization. And that's something that I think organizational leaders are going to 
continue to grapple with. Um, but like you said, pandemic kind of launched us five years into the future. Um, it accelerated the moving into the future of work. And as we continue to look, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, I don't see us going back to how it was before the pandemic and with everyone being back in the office. I just do not see that as a reality in part, um, not only because we've learned how to do it successfully largely, but also millennials who are now taking on more and more leadership, senior leadership roles in organizations, um, Gen Z, they just don't see the, the same necessity as previous generations may have seen. Uh, and they recognize that, you know, while there is value to be together in person, you know, in certain circumstances, uh, there are other times where it's perfectly reasonable for us to work remotely and then hop on a Teams call or whatever to to do some collaborations. Um, it, yeah, all of that is in flux. All of that continues to kind of adjust right. and to shift. Super interesting. Well, one. let me make a couple of points. One really quick one is, Boomers who are still in charge in a lot of the larger companies are the ones who are probably the most insistent in wanting to bring people back. And I think it's it's a misread to imagine they're doing this to their employees. I think you have to take it from the other perspective, again, trying to understand the other, they're doing this for them because they find the place of work was where they built their friendships, where they have where they learned the most, where they had their crucible experiences sort of that, that, that netted them the network that they have. All of those things are part and parcel to their success. So they're just trying to say to you, this is how I succeeded. I would like you to succeed as well, but this is the only path I know to do that. Now you, your generation is coming along. You have always been uh, biased towards your independence, biased towards that. And you've always been a little resistant of authority. So you don't like to impose. You're not one to impose on others or to have sort of this high structural. You, you know, the thing that most irritates your generation than any other trait a human can possess, micromanaging. It is something you are just you are just disdainful of that. Now the problem I challenge the challenge with this is you're you're all in with having more of a hybrid or remote environment mainly because a it, it fits your disposition but b you have mastery of what you do. So when you have those two components, you make the assumption that, well, other people would like what I like. And the young are naive enough to believe, yeah, I would like that too. But again, to the path to mastery requires our learning is really in contact with others, not in separation. When you're on a learning curve, you learn a lot more by observing than you do just by having a Zoom event or reading something. You have to say, how do the people that do this well do this? And and the, and so in that in that interplay in the office, that's where the learning takes place. I just feel the leadership, which will be your crowd, will be slightly resistant to that message because they will be of the mindset, oh, but they can, I figured it out, they'll figure it out. But we've raised a generation of children who are highly collaborative, highly collaborative. Yeah. And so when they are that mode, when they're in that mode of collaboration, you know how you, <laughs> I always say this, the word that the, uh, Gen X describes the young as in, 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 in a word is needy, in a mm, word. Yeah. They say they're needy. Now, it's an interesting thing to say that a young person is needy. I think they are interdependent. I think when they've been raised doing homework with their parents, when they've been working on group problem solving, they are in the habit of the company of others. I think the people that who are saying this about them are often not in the company, of, and they've always just figured it out. 
which brings me to my point about them. I think Gen X is needy as well, but their need is more for one of being self-sufficient, being free to do as I wish, you see? But the need isn't expressed in the same way as it impinges on another human. So it's not right. recognized. And there's so many more of these little kind of nuggets that I think um, we can we can pull apart. I did want to just double click on uh, something you just said a moment ago, because I, sure. I think it's absolutely right. Uh, I, I do think it's the wrong read to think that every um, every older leader who wants people to come back to the physical office is doing it just because they're kind of a curmudgeonly older person who's like, <laughs> come do it you know, my way and whatever and trying to impose. I don't think that's true. And and I think no. I, I've, I've talked to senior leaders who very much exactly like you were just saying, they see it they, like they're concerned. They're concerned about younger um, generations, the career op- development opportunities, yes. the mentoring, the coaching, like those things that happen often organically yes. um, that it's harder to replicate when you're in a remote environment. And it's good that they're concerned about that. Um, and so then the question becomes, well, is there, where's the happy medium or is there a way to, to uh, kind of replicate or reproduce the uh, those organic water cooler moments, the organic kind of learning that happens when people are together physically. Is there a way to do that when we're remote or if it's more of a hybrid kind of a thing? All really important questions. And we're going to continue to wrestle with these things over time uh, for sure. Uh, And coming back to what we talked about a little bit ago, of course, we always need to be careful with stereotyping and overreaching with you know, uh, these kinds of traits and in, in the perspectives. Um, but it, it is useful to have a general understanding of, of um, how these different generations are going to be working together. The last thing I thought we could touch on um, before we close sure. up for today is really what we can be learning from each other. So there is this disconnect often. There are, you know, older people saying the younger people are needy or entitled or like there's those types of mindsets. Um, when we're otherizing other people, you know, it just breaks down communication and conversation and and we're not learning from each other. So how do we mitigate those stereotypes, uh, and the the impact of, of the stereotyping and the generalizations, um, the negative perspectives that one generation might have on an, on another, either direction, right? Um, how do we reduce that, eliminate that so that we can just learn from each other so that we can gain from the expertise of that person who's had a 35, 40 plus year career. I'm new, like, hopefully I'm, I'm listening, you know, carefully so that I can learn um, how I can be successful. How do we, how do we facilitate that as leaders? Well, I think a couple of things I would do is I would be more explicit versus implicit. And when I say explicit, I think you need to surface the rules of the organization more. Because what happens with the young is uh, they come, for instance, they'll come into a meeting. Uh, let's say it's a meeting of all the, the, the leaders of the organization. We bring in, my, I bring in my one of my young associates with me. All of a sudden, my young associate is now participating fully in this meeting. And everyone's going, why is this young person talking at this meeting? They don't have, they don't know enough to talk yet. Now, they're, the young person might be thinking, well, if I'm in a meeting, why wouldn't I be talking? So what we do is we admonish them after they leave the meeting for speaking, but we never told them what their role was in the meeting. And so in that sense, they just sort of, you know, by, by default, do what they would normally do. My point, again, would tell people what is expected of them. I'm a big fan of expectation meetings. Expectation meetings should be setting, sort of setting the bar. Look, 
John, you're going to work for me. Here, let me tell you about why I love what I do. Now you know, know who I am. Then let me tell you about how I manage people, because this might get in the way of how, what you want. But having said that, what do you want? What do you want to be? And then I, I listen to that. Then I ask you, what do you need from me to do that? Now, the young are our best negotiators ever because they've been negotiating with their parents since they were four years old. So now they're going to say, this is what I need this. And you're going to say, no, I can't do that. I can do this. I can do that. No, I got to do this. And now what we do, we, we, we basically do some horse trading. And eventually we arrive at what we will do for each other, even though knowing that I get, I'm, I'm in charge, I get to decide if the ultimate, if we do it or we don't. Then we have to establish how do we do this? Uh, because start to define things. Here's another one I really hate because people say this. I want quality product. I look for a team player. These are all, these are categorical things you want, but you're not expressing the behaviors or the items themselves in terms of what they need. Again, we've got to get down to the micro level of saying to these people, this is what it looks like. Show them models of this. So, and I, and I will, last I will say is there are already talented young people who do many things that, well, at the firms that you work with or the, these firms, you should start to identify what they're particularly talented off and make them teachers to others. Tie them to each other. It creates stickiness. Don't say, oh, you know, John's a great performer. Listen to John. No, that's too broad. Say, John is really good in, in writing a tight brief. That's the person you want to learn from writing a brief. So when we start to assign things that they're really good at and give them the power to teach others, I think we build across. And again, we, I think we mend uh, some of these uh, perceived obstacles. I hope that's sort of Says it. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's helpful. And I, and I do agree. I think oftentimes it's just perceived obstacles. We can break right. down those perceptions just by talking to each other, interacting with exactly. each other, listening to each other, learning to value each other and our unique contributions that we can make all of that. I, I completely agree. I think that's fantastic. Well, well we don't come Chris, from a place where that was, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, but as leaders, we don't come from a place where we experience that in the, on, on our march up through an organization. We come from a place of just following the rules. And now we see them doing the opposite of saying, challenging us, which we find a little insubordinate. But in reality, they're not challenging you. They want to understand the why and the context and participate more fully. Again, yeah. I'm done. I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I know at the time I'm going to have to let you go here in a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yes, um, I'm, my website is cpdesantis.com. The name of my book is Why I Find You Irritating, Navigating Generational Friction at Work. And you can find that anywhere where you buy your books at Amazon or the Barnes and Noble's website or Books a Million. Uh, and then um, my podcast is called with my co-host, Mary Abijay, Cubicle Confidential. And we answer just very simple work questions uh, on a 30-minute window. Uh, other than that, I would just say all of you who are listening to this is be a little more, give the other party the benefit of the doubt. That's what all I'm asking because they're a rational person and they might be doing something differently than you would do it. But you have to say, First, ask why are they thinking the way they're thinking as opposed to thinking they're doing it incorrectly, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Chris, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Chris can do for you. Check out the book, check out the podcast. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.
you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.